Hello and welcome back to the next episode of Next Gen. I've had a pretty crazy week this week. Um, I thought I was meant to be away today, but turns out I'm not. I'm home, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So here I am with a new episode of the podcast. This week I, um, I managed to actually do a fair bit of professional development. As a pastor, some weeks I don't get to do uh, the reading that I really want to do, but this week I have, and I came across something interesting, and what I came across was a a book uh, written by Andy Stanley and um, his, one of his colleagues from North Point Church, who he says did most of the heavy heavy lifting in this one, uh, Bill Willits. Uh, it's all about creating community. And so it's these five keys to building a small group culture. And it comes kind of out of their book, um, Seven uh, Keys to Building a uh, Good Church Community. So I've really uh, been thinking a lot about this. I listened to the audiobook and it left me kind of in a state of thought is really the best way to put it. I, uh, I've spent the most of the week uh, writing uh, a program for small groups for one of my local churches uh, that I'm a pastor in, and that'll be presented to my elders soon. But I want to talk to you guys. Uh, we want to raise the question, how do you make a small group community? Well, how do you make church community? Because personally, I hate small groups. I just cannot stand them. It's not because I've had a bad experience or anything. It's just my personality. I just hate being in a small group of people that I'm actually, as like maybe it's because I'm a pastor, but that are going to know stuff about me that they can then talk to someone else about. And for me, that comes from one, having been the subject of a rumor mill before, but also two, I just don't want to give anyone anything aside from my wife. <laughs> and maybe that is a is, a, is an issue with me. Uh, and it probably is actually an issue with me that I need to work on. But I just hate small groups. So like this book was great and I, I want to implement the strategy, but how can I implement this strategy into my church? Because I know that small groups work without doing it myself. And I guess for my generation and for lots of people I speak with, for them, they're like, small groups are great, but why do I want to do it when I'm already overloaded and overwhelmed and overworked, I guess would be another word. And for me, the idea of giving up an evening even is has been really tough. Um, I was speaking with my wife the other night. I'm like, hey, if I'm going to do this in a church, we need to be able to do one of these as well. And she's like, go for it. And I was hoping she'd just tell me to stop and don't do it and we don't want to bring anyone in. But apparently we're going to. And I guess that's an example of me being stretched by my wife. But I just hate small groups. And so today I want to unpack why. Why might someone hate a small group? And so the first reason why someone might hate a small group is a lack of confidentiality. Have you ever been in a group of people and you say something and it manages to get out everywhere somehow, even when it wasn't meant to? That's just the way it seems the church works. And I've seen people excuse it and say, oh, that's just our church. But no, it shouldn't just be a church. That's poor culture. Um, and culture starts and ends with 
an individual with, with the worst individual in a group. So if someone in a group has bad culture, that's actually the culture of the group. And you might disagree with me, and I'm sure there is examples that don't follow that narrative. But if someone in a group is not holding confidence, the whole group fails. And if someone in a group is destroying it, the whole thing fails. And I guess uh, there's a bit of a saying out there that uh, you're only as good as your weakest link, and it's a true for us, and it's just as true for a small group. If people don't fit together and hold each other's confidence, how are you meant to trust? And I guess that leads into my second point. One of the other main reasons I hate uh, small groups is trust. I struggle to openly trust people, and that for me is a part of my high-functioning autism. I can put on a good show and I can act like I do, but underneath it all, I'm constantly questioning, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? And uh, that's probably shaped by some of my personal experiences. However, I just don't feel comfortable in that situation. And I guess the that then jumps into my third point. I find small groups far more intimidating than a large group of people. Why might you ask? Well, it's because the time uh, commitment is open-ended. A lot of small groups I've been a part of, the time commitment is open-ended. So I've got no idea, absolutely no idea, when the time commitment is going to end. What does that mean? Well, it means that we might rock up to someone's place for an evening and I have no idea what time we're going to be finished. Is it going to be 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or 9.30 or 10 o'clock? And it should be finished very quickly. You should eat food, do a study and leave. But I've found uh, on average people don't follow that pattern. People just kind of hang out forever. And that's great and it helps build community. But I need my time. I need the time where I can just be me in the house and I can just relax and I spend my whole day around people and it just is overwhelming if I have to go and do that in the, in the evening as well. And I just, that's, that's probably been one of the biggest reasons why I have avoided small groups like the plague. I will do anything to avoid them. But after listening to this book and uh, reading a few others, I've been reading a discipleship book by Greg Ogan, um, and I've been reading a few other different books, uh, by a couple by Andy Stanley and a couple by Craig Goshel. I'm like, okay, I have to do this, and this is what's going to help my church, is by slowly developing a small group ministry that will enable community to grow, which will therefore enable a culture to grow. And I know culture eats strategy every day of the week, but this seems like a pretty surefire way that it's not going to be perfect, we're going to hit issues, but it seems like a pretty surefire way for me to um, enable one of my churches to improve their loving relationships, relationships, which will then in turn improve their enthusiasm about church, which will then in turn improve my church. And I guess um, I've written down five questions that are key. Um, questions for a church to grow. Um, this is kind of what I disseminated from all the reading I've done this week. And it's only five. I don't nothing more. And this will help. This helps guide and it is helping to guide my church's strategy. It just doesn't need to be a pastor that does this. If you're a member in a local church, you can do this too. Or even if you're not even around a local church, 
um, any, any community this works for. Any community this works for. So the first question, who do we want people to be? Who do we want people to be? Well, let's think about a business out there. Um, you might have a favorite coffee shop. What are, who, what are people at that coffee shop? They talk. Who are they in that coffee shop? They're themselves. And I want people in our church, one, to be themselves, but two, to be themselves within this Christian context, and that is to be a Christian, to be a, a loving, passionate Christian. And that's literally on it too for this first question. Um, question two I have is what do we want people to do? So what do I want people to do in my church? Well, I want them to be involved. So what is a metric for me to know that they are involved? Well, if they're a part of a small group, I know that they're involved. And as a part of a small group, they might end up taking part in other ministries, but that isn't my end goal. My end goal is I want them to be an active participant in church life. And I can measure the fact that they are an active participant in church life through their involvement in a something like a small group. And how do we want people to do it? Well, in my church, I might want them all to do it right now, but um, I want people to do things in a small group. We come together on Sabbath for the, the celebration, for the time together, but I want us to do things in a small group, and I want them to do it with a loving heart, and the method I want them to do it in is in the context of community. Uh, question four I've got is what strategies can we utilize to do it? So this is a question for my church leadership, not for me, I'm involved, but for my church leadership. Um, it might be in your situation, it might be as a business or it might be um, as a local poultry club or it might be as a local sporting club. Um, but all these things you can you can utilize in those situations. So what strategies can we utilize to do it? So we can utilize small groups, we can utilize our Sabbath school groups, we can utilize our worship service, we can utilize our socials. They're the vehicles we currently have, and we can use every single one of those to feed into our small group culture, which then feeds into our community. And then the fifth question I've got here is, what ministries can we run to achieve this goal? So what ministries can we run to achieve this goal? So we can run small groups, and small groups will achieve our goal. And those five questions have kind of been shaping my thoughts over the past week. I've been really having to dig deep on them, and it's been taking me quite a long time to process through everything uh, that I've read, and I'm actually probably going to have to have another read of some of these books to bring out some more of the key points, because um, on his first go-through, um, I, I think I've missed some important things. But those questions have kind of been the big challenge to me about small groups. If I'm going to use small groups as a strategy to achieve my goal of being together as a community and being a close-knit community at Wingham, well then, that then means that I as a pastor need to do it too. I as the pastor need to take the lead and go, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to have a small group meeting here on this night and who wants to be involved? Um, or perhaps not even that, perhaps I actually need to go and individually ask people who I want to be involved in this small group as a model to my other leaders in my church, all that are lay leaders. Um, I'm not like North Point or another big church where I've got multiple paid 
staff members, I am the staff member across two churches. So I need to utilize my lay leaders. So I need to model this for my lay leaders and then utilize them uh, to model it as well. We're not going to have five levels of leadership. It's going to be very simple, but I still think it can work. So where has this small group model come from? Um, And the big question I've been left with is, does the small group model appear in the Bible? And I haven't really been sure. I do think there are situations that we could term as a small group, but I think the only uh, continuous small group that met throughout the whole of the New Testament was Jesus and his disciples. But by our definitions, that is too big for a small group. But Jesus and his immediate disciples constantly met together. They set the standard. They learned together. They did life together. And it kind of gave us a model of small group leadership and small group ministries that we've been trying to utilize ever since. And I think every, um, if you look around, pretty much every single successful church has an extremely successful small group ministry. And it, honestly, it makes sense. So I need to try and make the small group ministry in my local church as successful as possible. And as I said, that means I'm going to have to do it too. So how am I going to do it when I find small groups the most uncomfortable space to lead in? It's just my my weak spot. How am I going to do that? So perhaps I'm going to have to take a leap of faith and just trust that it's going to work out. But even then, it may not. Uh, I think that to for, for me to run a small group ministry effectively in my house, I'm going to have to, one, communicate with my wife very clearly about what her expectations going into this are. And number two, communicate with those individuals we have coming into our household to join this small group ministry. Um, I'm going to have to communicate with them very clearly that these are the expectations, this is how long we're committing for, and this is what we're aiming for. Uh, in the book, uh, Creating Community, they, uh, Andy Stanley, I think it was in this chapter, noted that every small group should be multiplying. And by that he means every small group after about 12, 18, or even 24 months should make more small groups. So if I start one here, um, in 12 months' time, it should become two. And then in 12 to 18 months after that, you end up with how many? Four. And then after that, you end up with a whole heap more. And all of a sudden, it becomes this uh, snowball where all of a sudden you end up with a whole church full of small groups. And hopefully, this is then the strategy through which our church will grow. So I want to throw it to you guys. Do you guys find small groups uncomfortable? Or do you find small groups really comfortable? Which one? And if you find it uncomfortable, I want you to let me know why do you find it uncomfortable? Uh, maybe go onto my Facebook page um, or the Instagram. Why do you find small groups uncomfortable? And the other thing I want to ask you is if you find small groups comfortable, um, why is your small group uh, successful? Uh, what do you put it down to? If you're a pastor that's listening to this, is this a challenge for you as well? Um, it's become a real big challenge for me. And as I've been going through it, I've been thinking, how is this relatable to the next generation of people coming through? Or 
next generation of people coming through, they want community. They are desiring community. Um, James Emery Wright in Meet, Gen Meet Generation Z, he notes that um, we have a rise of the generation of nuns and is a generation of people that have no connection to a religion. They have no religion. And these individuals are craving connection. They, they don't have enough connection and they need some. Um, and... Uh, Darren Pratt, who happens to be my dad, and I want him to get onto this podcast. Dad, if you're listening, jump on here. We're gonna we need, we need to do an interview together. Um, he noted um, that 85% of young adults who have committed their lives to God made their commitment before age 13. And do you want to know why? It says because it means that the religious commitments, practices, and investments made during childhood and the teenage years by parents and others in family and religious communities matter. They make a difference. I believe we can make a real difference through small groups for the next generation of, of Adventists and Christians coming up. Small groups are a way for us to really model that village mentality of, you know, that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I think a small group is a very intentional way to meet that goal, to become a village in someone's life. You're going to end up with young people in a small group. It's not just going to be uh, all of old 85-year-olds. It's going to be a, a mix of people. That is a village. And why aren't we putting children and young adults and youth um, in small groups? I've found that some small groups, all the adults come and all the kids go off into another room. I disagree with that. I think we should all be together in a community, uh, growing together, changing together, journeying together. Yes, there's a space for um, small groups that are just couples or small groups that are just men and small groups that are just women. But I think there's also a space for small groups that are the community of families growing, growing together, um, heading for a our strong future. So perhaps our communities are the solution to our problem. Uh, I know that there's some studies being done at the moment that are going to show, and I've seen some of the results, that those individuals, those young adults who are still in the church are young adults that had intentional mentors and intentional communities. And I know myself, whilst I hate small groups and I've never really had a successful small group, I had a small network of people around me uh, who journeyed with me, and now we are in the church together. And I think that's really valuable. And I think that we should be looking at small groups really seriously. So I challenge you to go and have a have a listen to the audiobook Creating Communities uh, by Andy Stanley and uh, Bill Willits. Um, I listened to it on iBooks. I might leave a link to it in the description. And let me know what you think about it. Or let me know um, what you think about small groups. It's one of those questions I made earlier. So without further ado, I guess we're going to end the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for listening this week. Uh, it's only 20 minutes out of your day, but I want to thank you for taking that 20 minutes with me. Uh, I hope I'm slowly improving, and I can't wait to get into some interviews with some people. And I honestly am looking forward to where this next-gen journey is going to take me. So thanks for jumping on board. Uh, leave a review if you're on iTunes. And go have a check out on my Facebook page. And if you want, email, want to email the podcast, it is nextgenpod at gmail.com. That is nextgenpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch all of you guys in the next one.